You're about to listen to a message from the LifePoint Church, a warm and friendly home for the young at heart. Amen. Amen. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Exchange. Okay. We should put it on the rug because we have a guest. She's not a guest, actually. Eh? Eh? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so she's not, she's, she's not a guest, yeah? She's a family member, a very strong family member that we have missed sorely. <laughs> we have missed her so much, and, and we're very excited to have her. Please, let's all welcome Juku. Except you want to join me here. Uh-huh. Yes, so Oba's mommy. <laughs> now, wow. Welcome, Sim. You put, you put rented yourselves. <laughs> okay, so I'll just do a very brief introduction and we get into the discussions. Yeah. Um, so, majority, who wasn't at the morning service? Uh-uh. Pastor, <laughs> did you forget? that we had money service today. Oh, so it's just one person. Uh, you have to buy the tape, <laughs> buy the CD of this morning's message. Okay, but what we did pretty much in morning service was to speak on the how from where we left off um, last week, okay? So we spoke about the different types of toxins. We did, just did a brief, brief recap and we spoke about seven practical tips on how um, tips to overcoming bad habits um, and, and various forms of addiction and all of that. You know, Demilade, join us. I know you have to leave at some point, but it's okay. Just join us because I wanted you to actually take um, today's service. Um, so please, can you help me get um, Bishop a mic? Maturity people are very deep. They don't, they don't do vainglory. They don't glorify men. Their worship is purely for God. <laughs> okay, so um, we'll get right into it. Tonight we're, the, tonight's um, service is tagged, oops, I did it again. Yeah. I, I know, right? <laughs> so, um, essentially we're talking about you know, patterns and cycles um, of addiction, uh, breaking free completely. And when we say addiction, I'll just bad habits in general. So vices, um, bad habits. In fact, I have a question here, you know, where it is. I'm, I will get into it, but it is important in our journey to emergence that we recognize God wants us free. Amen? He wants us free. So... Um, scripture says, he that the Son of Man has set free and is free indeed. So when we're not living in the, when, when we're not fully, when, when we're not walking in the reality of our freedom, then there is a problem. The enemy takes advantage of us. Why? Because there's some secret sin, um, there's some vice um, that brings guilt, shame, and condemnation. And I know that there are a lot of spiritual people in the room, so you all don't have any of these things we're talking about, amen? But just be our audience so that as we are having these conversations, they can help, help our energy so that as they are recording it, 
you know, the people that need it will listen to it. Amen? Amen. All right. Um, so, Joko is here and we'll be asking her a couple questions. Um, Joko, your mic works. Yes, it's working. Okay. But let me read a scripture first. I would read from Romans. Romans chapter 7, verses 18 to 25. It says, the New Living Translation, and I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. And I feel like a lot of us can relate to that. Yeah, we can relate to that. What you want to do is not what you end up doing. You don't want to be angry, you know, but you become so upset that it's almost destructive in nature. And it's not that to smash, smash bottles and stuff that your anger is destructive. Um, closely followed to, to, to a really angry state is hurtful words. And so our words have done damage, destroyed people's destinies, put them in, you know, put them in, uh, landed them in hospital. Just the power of your words. Scripture speaks in James about the power of the tongue, you know. So um, you don't have to think too far when, when we read this scripture about sinful nature. Um, we provided some background last week uh, where Dimlade explained uh, certain things and based on con conversations that we also had in the room um, around, um, you know, this, how, how do I overcome some of this bad behavior as it were? So I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Again, one of the things we said in the morning service that we need to separate ourselves from the weakness or the challenge. Um, sometimes we wear the weakness as a bad, we wear it as a garment. Meanwhile, the garment we've actually been clothed in is the garment of righteousness. But that's what guilt, sin, and condemnation does. We put on that garment of sin. We see ourselves through the lenses of the bad behavior or the um, addictions. Okay? He says, I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. And I find that, I find that you know, over the years, just speaking to people who are trying to break off certain bad habits or, or, or bad behavior, um, what, what features a lot is the fact that I've been at this for so long, you know. I've done it, I've tried everything, I've utilized all the one-on-one -on -one principles of breaking free, and I somehow still find myself back there after a couple months, after a couple days, and all. So is it that the power of God, after I've prayed and all, is it that the power of God is not strong enough to, to save me and to deliver me completely? Like, why am I still dealing with this? I've heard people's testimonies, and you know when we come to church, you know, I hear somebody share a testimony. I used to be a certain way, I used to sleep around. And then one day I came into church, and then the, you know, the man of God just prayed, laid hands on me, poured oil on me, and immediately I just hated sex. Just hated. Like I could not stand. If I see a woman walk naked right now, nothing will happen. I will not even move. You know? And you, that you have been doing your own for the past three years. Hey, God, have mercy on me. Help me. You will now be feeling very intimidated. Like, please, can I, exactly, can I purchase the anointing? Or maybe the one they gave me 
was substandard. It was Goya and not the original olive. You know, we, 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 we think about different things. And these are real issues that people deal with. You know, I still have somebody sharing that with me today, that look, I've been on and off two months, three months, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm still where I am. I, I'm better than where I used to be. But I feel like, when will this thing end? I've been on this journey for a while. So I don't know if you're here in the room, you've been on a journey, or whoever it is that is going to listen to this recording much later. You've been on this journey for a while, uh, and you're asking yourself, but the power of God really does exist to save. And again, because I have a lot of spiritual people in the room, I need to make sure that the conversation is somewhat balanced because some of the things we're talking about is, does not affect you people. All this sex and people have been born again from the womb. Amen. You see, that's a man of God. So, but I believe that there might not be a sin, but there might just be a bad habit you've been struggling with. For someone, it's, <laughs> I was about to say, Coke. Not cocaine, no. Coca-Cola. Yes. It's not cocaine. It's just Coca-Cola. For someone, it is, um, you know, you've been trying to, your sugar, your sugar consumption, you've been on this journey. They've told you. The doctors have said it. You have been on this journey. You have been trying to be healthy. That might just be someone. For someone else, it is nail-biting. And it's, it sounds really funny, right? I used to struggle with that. Let me just be, let, let me, my nails are much better now. Don't worry. I have plastic nails on, but they are way better than they used to be in the past. But yes, I used to struggle with nail bites. Now, I bite my nails when I'm under pressure. Oh, you too. I bite my nails when I'm under pressure. But let me tell you what started my, so I've been at it for a while. I mean, I'll leave my nails to grow out. Um, and then one day I'm working on one major deadline. I'm not sleeping. You know, my eyes are popping out like this with uh, all the veins showing. And then I just start. So I'm, on, I'm anxious. I'm, you know, there's just a lot going on. And I start to chew my nails. So I don't even eat them. I like use my teeth to cut them off. Until my first daughter, as she started getting older, started to ask me questions why my nails looked really ugly, why my fingers looked really like, Mom, what's going on with your nails? Like, uh, that's nasty, you know. So I've, I've recalibrated. Um, I'm better. But just in case somebody is here and you're like, okay, so whether it is nail biting, whether it is uh, sugar intake, when I remember a story that I once heard when I was uh, way, several years back, I think, I think I was still in uni then, my pastor in church then spoke about um, a mother who brought her son to Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi. Um, you know, he was like a, some mentor, spiritual counselor, and whatever, whatever like that. So they brought the, the boy to, the mother brought the boy to him. Um, and what she had a problem with was the fact that the boy eats sugar, like cubes of sugar, she, as in the boy was addicted to sugar, essentially. So you know what Gandhi did when he brought the boy to him? This was a story that I do. In fact, I never even checked it whether to see it was, but my pastor told the story then. Um, so he then, he told the mother to take the boy away and return in, I think, a week or two weeks. So they went away, and you know, the woman was really perplexed, like, there's no solution to the matter, like, why would you ask us to go and come back? Apparently, he asked them to go and come back because he did not feel that it was okay for him to advise on a matter that he was still dealing with. So he too had, like, sugar 
issues, yeah, he used to consume sugar. Again, I don't know how true that story is, but at least the pastor used it to drive home the point of the message, you know. Um, and I'm reminded of scripture that would say you're concerned about the log, uh, sorry, the speck in your brother's eye, the log in your own eye, you haven't dealt with it, you know. So while it is that some of us may not have the sexual immorality type issues, you know, or lustful issues, or besetting sins. They are the little, little things, the little foxes that actually spoil the vine, that sort of inhibit the good work that God is trying to bring forth in our lives, you know. And, and the phrase that comes to mind is, is like, you know, flowers blooming. It's time to emerge. It's your season to, to, to be fruitful. It's your season to reflect and radiate God's glory. But they're just these little, little things, anger, jealousy, pride, arrogance. Some of you, you know, I find that some people are arrogant. They don't even know they are arrogant. Have you met such people? Have been arrogant. They have no idea. They have called it confidence. Self-confidence. Meanwhile, it is outright rudeness and arrogance. You know, and in that way, they have, I mean, growing up, if you grew up in traditional churches, whether it is true story, whether it, but they shall use this type of stories to pass across the message. Stories around, you know, somebody you chased their future husband away with bad behavior, with the way they spoke rudely and all. Whether you believe it or not, it has the potential of happening because you don't know. I mean, I don't believe that there's one man to one woman or one woman to one man. But I mean, if somebody was checking you out, with a view and an intent to marry you, and the person fits all the boxes, but because of your stinky behavior and rude um, approach or outlook, they are going to, they say, it's a major turn off. So whether it's character development, whether it is besetting sin, whether it is a major, um, a major addiction that you are trusting God to help with tonight, I believe that as Joko shares her story with us, uh, we will be blessed and we'll be able to um, take out important lessons and practical steps from it. Okay? So let's welcome Joko again. Obzi's mom. <laughs> All right. So Joko, what, um, would you please just let us know what particular addiction you struggled with? Okay. So the one I'm talking about this evening was masturbation. Okay. Yes. So talk Should I tell? Okay. So um, I started masturbating, I think, when I was in secondary school. I don't even know how it started. Um, it was just something that I did. It was very normal. And um, when I went to uni, I went to uni in the US. I was now suddenly in a culture that very openly talked about sex. So my parents, I would say, are very liberal. My parents are very Western. But even at that, there's still some conversations we didn't really have. Sex was one of them. Because at the end of the day, they're still Niger parents, let's be honest. So when I get to the US, I'm now in an environment where sex is very openly discussed, it's okay, like everything's acceptable. I remember my first semester having a conversation with some friends and they were just like, like almost like, where are you from? So it even seemed more acceptable while I was there. So I didn't even think there was anything wrong with it, to be honest. It was, it was just a way of life, that's the way I saw it. When I returned home and um, I gave my life to Christ, then I saw that there was something wrong with it. I, I have a blog post on this, and if anybody has ever read it before, I talk about how a person I called Shegun kind of became like my accountab accountability partner in this. That person, that Shegun was PI. 
So one day, first of all, I don't even know how I told PI because it was something that I did not discuss with people. It was shrouded in secrecy. So I don't know how we came to the topic and we discussed it. Then a year later, I went to PI's office um, at St. Nicholas Building. And we were talking about, it was business. And then PI now asked me about that. So I said, ah, I can't lie, it's PI. So I had to tell him the truth. And PI told me he wanted to put me to a 100-day challenge. I was like, so what, so what now? I cannot do that. So when PI said he wanted to put me to a 100-day challenge, I'm going to fast off masturbation for 100 days. I told him, can I first think about it? Because honestly, and I kid you not, at the time, I was like, ah, you better take time. Masturbate a lot, like, and then you will now go on the cleanse. And Pierre was like, no, you can't do that. Like, start today. Today is a very convenient day to start. So ah, I told him that Pierre, 100 is too much. It's three months. I think we should start with a more realistic goal. And he said something to me that for some reason, I don't know why it stuck. He said that you should at no point ever think you don't have the willpower not to not do it. And I remember thinking, oh, wow, this whole time, like, I had thought... I couldn't say no. And then all of a sudden, it was like the power was in my hands. I don't know why that resonated with me. I know that it might not resonate with somebody else, but for some reason, that really just stuck with me. At this point, Pierre and I were now walking to the elevators because he had another meeting and he was seeing me off. So I said to him, okay, fine. If I have the willpower to do it, then I'm going to go for this 100-day challenge. What he helped me do was that he helped me identify my triggers, which was so important. So I realized that masturbating helped me sleep. I struggle with sleeping. I still struggle with sleeping till today, I won't lie. But I found that if I wanted to sleep, I would masturbate. If I was bored, I would masturbate. So, it, oh, and sorry, I have to add this part. When I did, uh, <laughs> when I decided to document it and write about it, I didn't tell anybody. So it was only PI and I that knew about this stuff, right? So anyway, I had to identify my triggers, but over time, as time went, I realized that I was thinking about it less and less. I was, you know, and I wasn't also feeling the habit. You find that you feed it in your mind through different things. Contents that you're reading, contents that you're watching. So you have to also be very mindful and watchful of that. So, and then obviously, my, so in my parents' room, I also had my, in my, my parents' house, sorry, I had my room to myself so I could go away if I wanted to do certain things. I'll find myself them sitting with my parents a bit more, basically just trying to find ways to curb this habit. At the end of 100 days, I made it, I survived. I now decided that I was going to write about it. The only person I told at the time was Akindele, my now husband, at the time we were married. I decided I wasn't going to tell anybody that I was writing about it, so I let him know so that he wouldn't get a shock, you know? <laughs> Akinele, I think, had taken me maybe to meet his parents that weekend or something, so we're in Ibadan. My mom saw the blog post. My mother called me. Quick, quick, quick. Why did I share this? Why is this online for people to read? I said, ah, mommy, aren't you proud to know the work that God is doing in me? She said, it's okay. But I didn't need to put it online, that she's, perfectly, that she's very happy to hear that I have overcome, but it didn't need to be public knowledge. Ah, my mother was really... 
She was not she was not pleased at all. She was like, why didn't I tell them, you know, we have a family group chat. I said, this is exactly the reason why I didn't tell you. Because if I had, you would have killed the idea before it made an appearance. My mom now said that, you know, my aunties had seen it. People in the family are looking at it. Like, what is this? That's really, I should think about taking it now. That is not too late. <laughs> so, but you know, the feedback that I got from it was so amazing because a lot of people now reached out to me. Um, one of my friends from, um, and classmates from QC, I don't know if you guys know Bolanli Olukoni. She's um, Bolinto. She used to be on, um, is it Ebony Life or something? Bolanli, I think, shared it. Bolanli has a lot of followers. I mean, I think she has like over 300,000 followers, but she shared it. So that also got more traction from the post, and then, and I had people saying they wanted to come to me for advice. I said, me, ah, 100 years ago, I was you. <laughs> but, um, you know, there were certain things that I really learned from that. So first of all, one of the key things I learned is that the devil always wants to isolate you. It doesn't matter what it is. It might not be masturbation, it might be issues, whatever it is, he just wants to isolate you. He wants you to think that you're alone. So the first time I spoke to P.I. about it, and P.I. told me that other people were struggling with this habit, all of a sudden I didn't feel like I was so alone. And now I felt like, okay, other people also have this. I'm not the only one. I'm not weird. I'm not this. I'm not that. And at the same time, the devil doesn't want you to reach out for help. Now, when it comes to stuff to do with sex, we shroud it in so much secrecy. It's actually ridiculous. We need to have more open conversations about certain topics, one of them being sex. With sex, it's always like, ah, don't, know. it's okay, it's perfectly normal, God created it. If you're struggling with it, talk about it, you know? It's fine. If you're, I mean, one of the things I told P.I., I said, see, let me tell you something, P.I., God created us to be sexual beings. It's kind of his own fault that he didn't put a button to say that, you know what, when you need to be sexually active, I will activate something. So I was like, as a matter of fact, I'm not doing so bad. It's just masturbation. Like, relax. I'm not, I'm not hurting anybody. Thank you. Like, it's, it's me, myself, and I. I fear I was like, Joko, no. I'm not going to buy that. But when somebody reaches out to you, because sometimes you might not seek the help. The help actually finds you. And that's what happened to me. Don't say no to that help. Actually accept the help. And don't justify bad behavior because me, I started looking for every kind of justification. I started telling God that, look, I'm doing all these other things for you. And again, like I said, this doesn't only apply to masturbation. It applies to other areas of life. Because I, before I came here, I had to go and read that blog post again. I wrote it in 2017. And as I was reading it, I was like, Joko, this relates to some new struggles that you have in your life today. And you need to take these same lessons again and apply them step by step. Because the truth of the matter is, no matter what it is that you're going through in life, like BWS was saying earlier, you might have a goal at the beginning of the year. You're like, I'm going to crush this goal. I'm going to do this. And then you find that you're not crushing the goal as you thought you would. But in life, what I have found that always helps me is having an accountability partner. Having somebody you can work with. So at the time, you might not want to share what your struggle is with everybody, and that's okay. But have somebody that you can check in with. Because if you want to do it alone, 
you are playing games with yourself. Let me not lie to you. It's better to have somebody that you... So that even when... And, oh, something that's very important. Please let me add this. If you ever go back, because I went back at one point, don't let the enemy condemn you. Tell him to shut up. Because guess what? You pick yourself up the next day and you start all over again. And that's perfectly fine. So don't say... It's almost like... Um, I know I used to do this stuff all the time. I, I eat bad one day when I want to lose weight, and I'll say, ah, well, I've fallen off the bandwagon today. I might as well just continue. No, don't continue. The next day, let it be a good day. The day after will even be better. Um, thank you so much, Joko, for sharing that. Um, it's real. It's just real. I don't have uh, no name buts. My English is failing me at the moment. Anyway, so here's the question I want to ask. And this is, it applies to a lot of these bad habits, is why do I need to put a cap on something that's me I'm clearly enjoying? And, you know, it's also not hurting it. Like, the world is nicer. For, for instance, if I sleep well, I wake up tomorrow, I'm good. Refreshed. I'm refreshed. Effective you understand? at work. Do you understand? I'm reflective. I'm Add not offending any. Do you understand? The world is rotating even sweetly. Because, Jonathan, I'm also helping the world by being a good person. Why do I need to put a cap on something that seemingly is beneficial to me and, you know, but, and doesn't hurt anyone? To be honest, that's the question that I asked myself at the time. Because like BWS said, I said to Pia, I'm not hurting anybody. So nobody's affected. But at the same time, there's a reason why God puts certain things in place. So for me personally, when I was masturbating, you have to feed yourself with content that's not necessarily the best content for you. That can be damaging your mind. So at the end of the day, even if you think you're not hurting anybody, you're kind of hurting yourself, okay? Because is that really the content that you want to feed your mind? Because like they say, like the most important sex organ is your mind. And if you want to masturbate, you have to envision and visualize things. You're now feeding your mind with contents that you don't need. So ultimately, you're hurting yourself. It's just that you cannot see the direct way sometimes in which you're doing that. And God knows why he has said, don't do this. Don't do it. Okay, just to follow up on that. So I'm, the reason why I want to address this is because there is a trend out in the world right now, which is, look, you only live once, not this one life we get. Mm -hmm. And if I'm hurting my mind, but I'm not seeing the hurt in my mind or in my body at the moment. I mean, by the time we're all in our 70s, we'll all be old, we'll all be hurt, we'll all be broken. Do you understand? It won't make much difference if, you know, if we're, if our, we're, all, we're all old and infirmed at that point. So the question is, why, I just want to know why, of, what are some of the things you had to tell yourself to be able to actively benefit from not doing these things? Like, what are some of the things you told yourself in the moment to keep you energized and keep you sort of strengthened through pushing out of that bad habit into a cleaner lifestyle? Mm. Okay, sorry, please. Let me address this trend for, um, first. This, you only live once thing. It's very short-sighted, I find. Um, and don't get me wrong, there's some things, there's some decisions you will make in life that's just the here and now. 
But that, ah, YOLO, you only live once, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes I look at some people, are you really happy, though, with your you only live once lifestyle? I'm not saying don't chop life, oh, please, that's not what I'm advocating. Um, like my mother used to say, from the womb, that this child, that I knew I was here to chop life. But you have to think a lot more longer term. And I think for me, at the time, when I started ticking boxes, you know sometimes when you check off something, you want to continue the streak as well. That for me, I won't lie, was encouraging. Like right now, my Bible streak, <laughs> I broke my Bible streak during my wedding. I was so upset. I was like, you could have just opened the app even if it was for two seconds and closed it back. But sometimes you just want to actually take something and as you keep pushing, you're like, okay, I can do this. It's... It made me see that I could be disciplined. I don't know, especially at the time that I felt like I was struggling with indiscipline. So it made me see that I was stronger than I could be. So it wasn't even only for masturbation, but it was for other areas in my life. Because I won't lie to you, for a long time, I had also felt like I'm not a very disciplined person. It's still something I struggle with even till today. But it made me see that you can get stuff done. God has equipped these skills in you. All you have to do is push and, of course, have an accountability partner. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, so this is going to be probably my third question. Okay. So, what happens when you live in a family? Because you are saying like your mom knew, and then obviously when your aunties knew, your aunties are really cool because it was my aunties that knew. Ah, family meeting. First of all, they will have called everybody. You sit down in the middle. They will stretch for their hands and. Oh pray no no on your no! Head. My aunties obviously called my mom. That why? But why I'm did saying, she put this online? But your you know, mom is way, cool. Because uh, I know your mom anyway. Yes, your mom's, your mom's uh, actually pretty cool. <laughs> but what, what happens when you live in a family where everything is sort of shrouded in secrecy? So, one thing I've learned is that sometimes before you share stuff, you need to understand your family. And also, if it's something that would directly impact other people, you need to let them be aware of it. So, this masturbation testimony... My parents are my parents, but it wasn't their own secrets. Do you understand? So I felt like I could share it without asking their permission ahead of time. However, if you come from a family that, ah, that can cause more problems than is worth it at the end of the day, maybe what you need to do is share it in a smaller group like this that is not leaving this room after. So you need to understand, because the truth is, I knew my parents would be upset. But again, my parents are liberal. I knew they would get over it. So, but I, so I know my parents. Now, I know that I cannot work for everybody's parents. Understand your own family, understand your dynamic. Because, like I said, you don't want to go and cause more problems at the end of the day. And then you now say that it was testimony you were sharing. And ultimately, at the same time, I also felt like I was led to share by the Holy Spirit. And I used that argument with my mom as well. My mom couldn't really argue with that too much because, I mean, my mom had been trying to push her children to Christ for a long time, but she's not going to be the one to say, ah, but, ah, oh, yeah, hey. So she too had to kind of step back at that point and just be like, ah, if only shall, you know. Okay, uh, let me ask this question just to help someone here. So you did mention falling back at some point. Mm -hmm. Was that during the 100-day period or was much after? No, it was after. after. It was after. Okay, so how did you uh, pick up and... I what has the trend then been? Or what was the trend then? I mean, you're married now. Mm. So when I fell again, um, so I have a very close friend, Pamela. She's the one that I spoke to at the time. And I won't lie to you, I was ashamed because I felt like you shared this story. 
You should be better than this by now. Again, another false thing that the enemy is trying to do, you know. So you might feel like, ah, people are now looking at me as the supporter. I can't now be the one saying that. Um, no. And I want like, so my friend Pam, Pam is a very, I don't know, there are very few things in this life that can make her upset, Sha. I do, I'm always like, I, I wish I could have this kind of temperament. She is a big encourager. And I needed somebody that if I tell, the first thing I wouldn't get is judgment. Um, and I mean, I'm sure a lot of you are like that. If you feel like you're being judged, you're gonna shut down, let's be honest. So I needed a friend that I knew that if I tell you, I'm in a safe space. And that's what it was like for me. And she put me to another challenge. I think Pam said she was going to put me to a 200-day challenge. I said, look at you. You want to upgrade from PI zone. Like, what's your problem? But it was good to have somebody to talk to. And then she would check in with me. I think she used to check in with me weekly at the time. And that was it. But again, accountability partner is so important. Pick somebody that you trust, somebody that you know that your life is safe with them, so to speak and share with that person. Okay, thank you so much for sharing that. Again, just to help someone, because we, we want to be as practical as possible so people can pick specific tips um, to run with. So in this, let's talk about the 100-day challenge, yeah? Mm -hmm. Tell us your typical day. I mean, you had proposed, you had been told you had willpower mm -hmm. to not masturbate. You had identified your triggers, because those were some of the things uh, you had worked um, you were very deliberate about, you know, avoiding those triggers or just sort of mitigating whatever inherent risk existed in being triggered, yeah? What else did you do and well, where was God in all of this? I know, yes, I mean, you spoke to a pastor who put you on that challenge and all, but just talk us through, what else did you do? I replaced the habit. So, um, like I had said earlier, one of the things I used to do when I was bored was to masturbate. But I also like reading. And I love talking, I won't lie. My mom and I, we have a place in the house where we used to sit together to just gist. So a lot of the time, by the time I've done some of these things, I've tired myself out. So I don't see why I then need to go and do something else, you know. So what I did was I found good habits to replace it with. That thing was very, very important for me. And the truth is sometimes when you start with one thing, it creates a, good dom it creates a domino effect for you. So, like, for instance, right now, I started training with a personal trainer last month, right? And I found that it has helped me to start eating better. Because anytime I think about the struggle that Daniel puts me through, I remember that I cannot go and eat crap. I went to two parties yesterday, Felicia's mom's birthday and Nena's, and he said that I have four sessions with him this week because of that. I had to quickly tell him that, oh, guy, I didn't eat small chops, I didn't eat grills, I didn't eat all these things, you know? So that's also part of creating a domino effect. Normally, when I go to parties, as you are bringing everything out, me so I'm collecting. Uh -uh, I didn't even need desserts, and I have a sweet tooth. So I had to find good habits to replace it with, and I used to talk to God about it. So one thing I think one thing I admire about my relationship with God is that He's very honest. I write letters to God. I remember my mom told me in 2016, I think, that you can write to God because I love writing. And I didn't know you could do that. I thought you always had to talk to God. And when she said that, I used to, 
If you read some of my love letters, I was reading one from 2017. I was telling the Holy Spirit that, look, eh, I want to masturbate right now, but I've decided that I will just talk to you. That was a letter that I wrote to him. I used to have such honest, open conversations like that. I would talk to him about literally anything and everything, and I felt like I was carrying him along on my journey that way. Writing might not work for you. I've heard some people say that they draw. I've heard some people say that they do voice notes, so you can identify what it is that works for you. But I, one of the things that I loved about that is that sometimes I go back to read my letters to God, and I look at how far I have also come. Because they are like, ah, this thing that used to be a struggle, God has led me out of this. Awesome. That's so Thank great. you very much, Joko. So let's give people an opportunity to yeah. ask questions, yeah? Okay. Praise the Lord. So speaking of arrogance, you said something about arrogance. Like most of the times, some people are arrogant and they don't even know they're arrogant. Can you hear me? Yeah. yeah so how, do, how can someone deal with it? Okay, do we have more questions? All right, but let's take that first. How can someone deal with arrogance? Again, how do you recognize that you... So this person, I'm assuming, already knows that they're arrogant and they're looking for how not to be arrogant, right? Awesome. Sorry? Is it the oh, it's DNA. in the DNA. Ah. Ah. There's no such thing, please. It cannot be in your DNA. I refuse to believe that. Ah, no, wait. No, 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 no. So, yes, because... Um, no, 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 arrogance be your DNA. Uh, it's no. can, it, I don't believe that. So the sin nature is what manifests in various forms. No, but so you learn these things. Yes. yes. But there, it's kind of like, you said something beautiful when you started. You didn't know how you started masturbating. I'm yes, not saying masturbation was in your DNA. Yes, oh, but learned. you didn't know how. How did you learn if you <laughs> didn't know? Wait, Joko, wait. Wait, wait. Uh-uh. When you I explored. Was I explored now. Uh -huh. You and explored. I, I don't remember when, but I learned. Okay. Uh, you didn't learn from when. No, 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 no. Hold on. So when you think about DNA, don't think about it as the, the cells RNA. or the... Uh, no. Okay, it okay. is nature. Your, That's what he means by DNA, right? Which, it's uh, yes, the nature, not, not the cells. Not the... Not the, the like, biology ah. people. What is DNA? Are they cells? <laughs> mean, what I mean by... Sorry. What? what I mean by DNA, like, you'll be growing up, you'll... Dad is like a leader or something, and you get to see him do all those playoffs. Learning. Yeah, uh, so that's that. nature. That's nature. Uh -huh. no, you, which, you, which was you, what I was trying to add some credence to. Not, it's not DNA. So when DNA. you use DNA loosely, mm. actually, when people no, say no, it's, no. My, it's in my DNA, they're referring to their nature yeah. or nurture. So it's the, how I grew the, up or the what I learned. The reason why I wanted to address that is because sometimes some people say stuff like that, like, I cannot change. That's who I am. And you have that's to be mindful I... of that, like, ah, that's who I am. No, that's you learn to. Yeah, exactly. We said that earlier, actually. Yeah. You are not your challenge. You are not your weakness. So you cannot put on that cloak or that garment of, I am an arrogant person by nature. Whether I learned it, whether I observed people ahead of me, you know, behaving a certain way, and I, I unconsciously imbibed that nature. You know, some people even believe that anger is transferable, you know, yeah. it's genetic. Yeah. So if you have like really angry parents, hot tempered parents, then you cannot escape it. No, sorry to speak to this, because my granddad used to say something, Egyptian man is an Egyptian man everywhere he goes. Do you understand that he used to give an example that there's a friend of his who. His parents were Ijesha, and I think they say Ijesha people are stingy or something. 
they, as far as I know that they have like a very frugal Ijebu, Ijebu, yeah. you know, they have a very frugal he said that he said that this guy this guy went to the UK as a young child and they thought that uh-uh, when you go to the white man's country that your DNA will loosen up but the guy was still very stingy you know, so I came back to Nigeria several decades later and the stinginess was still inside his blood so there's a black man blood Ijebu blood kind of a stuff <laughs> The reason why I'm saying this is that some people have been, they, not only have they been told that they have, they have personified that thing, it's part of their identity now, where, I don't know, but we are stingy and we love it, do you understand? So that's part of what I want to... So I don't know that we've addressed no, this sorry, question just, just yet. We haven't answered your question. We've not, answer, we've we've not, not answer, mentioning it, we're just stealing it, so, so it is clear. <laughs> so, arrogance, Joko. Gosh, with arrogance, um... Huh. I won't lie to you because it's not my own struggle. I can't, you know. But I think I would use something else. So one thing I struggle with till tomorrow is pride. Mm, 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 mm. I can't even lie to you. So I, I struggle with pride. And I find that um, I just need to put certain checks in place. So I have... So I guess this is where nurture comes. There's a way that we were raised. Our family were, were very proud of ourselves, right? And the that edus. kind of, the ah, wale so you've grown up like that. So how can somebody just come and like, from where to where? But, and it has its good sides because you're proud of your heritage, your identity, but it can also have its bad sides, right? So I think one thing I've just learned is sometimes when I see myself behaving in a funny way, it's like, no, Joko, you need to check that. So, and one of, what's one of the struggles that I will have with pride sometimes? You might look down on the way somebody else wants to do something and think it's not good enough. Yeah. And you have to, so one of the things I always have to say to myself is, it's not wrong, it's just different. Get over yourself, it's fine. I still struggle with it. I'm not a perfect saint with it, no. But there are just some things I just see that I mean, let me even use my husband and I. My husband is more traditional. I told you my family is more liberal, more Western. And sometimes when he's talking, I'm like, oh, you need to come to our side. Like, hello. <laughs> but I also realized that some of the things that wants to do, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just different. You're not used to it. But you can also learn from it. Same way he can learn from you. But how would he learn from you if you're looking down on maybe the way he wants to do something? So pride is different from arrogance. So I'm using that as an example. But you just have to be able to check and have that like teachable spirit to learn because trust me sometimes you will realize that you're doing something that's not nice or unkind and you can see it in the other person and their reaction to you and that might be a time to be like you know what i need to take a step back and yeah i don't know if that answered your question okay, it I'm didn't sorry. okay so let me let me take a stab at it i mean some parts of what she said already addresses it the first thing is you recognize that you are aware that this is a problem um Second thing to do is to talk to God about it. Again, because, not because we're in church, but because we recognize that God made us, yeah? And there are certain things he didn't put in us. The scripture I read out of speaks about our sin nature. There are some things that because of the sin nature, it's really very prevalent. So even when we become saved, there's a renewal of mind that needs to happen. There is something that needs to happen with our soul, with our existence, where we are putting our body under. So you know that this thing is a problem. How is it manifested? How is arrogance manifested? Do you look down on people? Do you speak brashly or harshly to people? What are the things that you do that you know clearly negates, um, you know, how God 
has, how God intends for you to walk in love. Do you understand? So being able to identify those things. Um, I won't even say things like triggers, like what triggers you to be arrogant. If you're naturally just an arrogant person, when you show up in a place, everybody knows, you lose friends. I'm sure there are things that you, know, you can see as negatives, consequences of, your, of an arrogant nature. Um, and you know this isn't who you want to be. So again, it is, there's a scripture we read out of in Proverbs, I think 23 or so, a prudent and a far-sighted person says, who am I becoming? And what do I need to do to get to that place where I'm going to? I want to be, what's the opposite of arrogance? Please help me, the English fails me. Humility. I want to be a humble person. So arrogance is actually quite closely related to pride, you know, um, because it's, I think it's, it is, right? Yeah, I want to check the definition, and, and this is what I was going to say. It, it says, arrogance is making claims or pretensions to superior importance or rights. Essentially telling people, claiming to be superior to other people. And so it's, it, an, it's a superiority it's a complex, complex type, type of situation. Uh-huh. So you know that I don't want to be this way, but I don't want to be an inf- I don't want to deal with inferiority complex. I just want to be who God has made me to be. I want to be loving. I want to be kind. I want to be humble. Let me tell you one of the ways that you do is I, I, I get my kids to make these declarations. You make a de- start to declare it over yourself. I am humble. I am kind. I am loving. I am filled with the content of God. I am like my brother Jesus. You know, I I I, I walk in love. You know, start, I'm not, I don't follow after the dictates of my, my flesh. You know, I walk in the spirit. So make these declarations over yourself. You find that it starts to affect how you reason, how you think, and how you even approach, you know, situations. Or gradually you see these things falling on because you are not focusing on your arrogant nature. You are focusing on the nature of Christ that has been given to you by reason of your relationship with God. Does that make sense? If I can just add to this, I mean, something that BWS was saying, which I think is essential, is you need to understand that you are in no, it doesn't matter what you have, what you've done, who your parents are, which, which is something that Nigerians do as a practice. Do you know who I am? Or you don't know who I am? Do you know who my father is? You don't know him? Do you know who my grandfather is? You are not in any way superior to other people. And that is kind of where the problem with arrogance starts. It's just this assumption or this belief that you are in some way superior to other people and you sort of project that in a way that hurts and offends them. The Bible has a specific remedy for this. It says you must learn to esteem others as better than yourself. That is a human practice that a lot of us fail at. Philippians 2. Yeah. Also, I was just trying to find this to show again. 14 or so, you must sure. learn to esteem others as better than yourselves. You must hold them highly as Philippians 2, 3. 2, 3. Uh-huh. 2, 3. You must learn to hold others as better than you. Do you know what that, do you know the amount of, you know, self-beating you have to do to see somebody who is, who appears to be worse than you and to tell yourself, no, this person is better than me. You must learn that, you must practice that, and the way we do that is, first of all, declaring it, pushing the power into the air, the faith of God, the power of God into the air, and then letting that power now work in your members, in your circumstances, in your mind, and then choosing to practice it. Let me tell you something that happens to me. When I'm going to a wedding and my fit is on point, you know, my outfit is banging, I walk into the place like, you don't even really want to touch me, bro. That's how I go in. And it, it's natural because your parents will say, you know, keep your, my mom used to tell me that, keep your head up high and all of this thing. Walk like you own the place. So I walk in there like, bro, hi, you know, good to see you. Like Just, they are gathered for you. Do you understand? You've gathered for you. Like, one. 
you gather the other agbara too before you sit. Do you understand? But there is a, and this I've had to learn. When I go into places now, I'm looking to make sure that nobody is offended by my sense of self. You know, and that's why the Bible says things like that. An arrogant person will walk in and immediately expect that the chair in front is from me. Because do you know who I am? Do you know my father is my grandfather? But a person who is meek and lowly in heart naturally takes a, not even naturally, spiritually, by the power of God, learns to take a back seat and let others be esteemed better than them. So that's one of the things you need to do. Obviously, power of declaration, but honesty in your heart and then choosing to practice it as a habit. Go to the petrol station. Before you, you know, use your Jeep to offend others, first stay back, first let some let them down, folks, Keke and Pep go there. You two now, you have to practice it consistently. That practice is so important. It's so important. In fact, there's a saying I remember um, a friend of mine shared with me that had stuck with me over the years. Um, it is what I can do in my power, I choose not to do in my wisdom. You know? So there are certain things that you think you're by nature or nurture, or you have the capacity, like the way you go in all of his plenty glory to an event, and he can lord it over people. But I choose not to in wisdom. Because I recognize that I am not that person. I'm becoming someone else. I'm becoming another man. And so being very intentional about, you know, embracing that. It might be painful, though. Actually, it will be painful. We, we spoke about amputation earlier in the morning, you know. Being honest with yourself, brutally honest that this is a challenge that I have. And then amputating, you know, detaching from certain behaviors, certain lifestyles that propel you in that different direction from where you want to go, you know. So if arrogance is on that destination, you are taking the opposite side. You are doing way more than even the people that are not arrogant, that, that are humble, you know, because you are teaching yourself. Um, you are changing your appetite. Do you understand? So you are doing way more than people who are naturally humble. You are, it's almost like, yeah, let me not belabor that point. Falabi wanted to say something. So I wanted to just um, give a practical advice. So because of what I do, there's a tendency to be proud. It actually comes with the profession. So I'm, so I'm a creative, and people always celebrate the gift. They don't even care about your attitude so most times. They're really focused on the gift, and that can have a negative effect. I'll give you a perfect example. There are times where you are ministering somewhere and they are screaming your name and they are singing your songs word for word. And Fainting. Are... <laughs> Nobody has fainted yet, but I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I'm just Come and rent me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, but one thing I've learned over the years is um, who I surround myself with. So a perfect example is people like BWS, PI, all these people I've seen. Dame Laddie, you are getting there. God, will, wow. God is working on you. You are arrogant, <laughs> You are arrogant. I'm just joking because it's been recorded. You know, um, but I've seen how they are, how deliberate, deliberate they are about humility. I've been to an event before with Pastor Idris, and typically it would sit in front. They know him, but he sat at the back. Even when they asked to take him to the front. He said, no, it's like everybody else. So when you watch people like that, the way they live, 
you have no reason. So one of the things you should try to do, practical steps, is surround yourself with maybe people who are older, more accomplished, and see how they handle fame and um, you know success and learn from that. Another thing that has helped me is accountability. There was a time I traveled, and I, I can assure you I was proud till the following day because of the way I was treated. I was treated like a king. Let me, that's the way I can express it. I was in another country, and, you what? know, no, my point, focus on the point. And it felt really, really good. But the truth is, I was no longer focused on the assignment. I was focused on the treatment I was receiving. And immediately I called one of my mentors and said, this is how I'm feeling, you know. I don't want to mess up, you know. And I started to get the counsel I needed. So that would help. And thirdly, don't take yourself too seriously. That, that has helped me a lot. I can do anything, I assure you. I've been to an event before, and there was like this you know, bunch of cars behind, and we drove ourselves to the venue, and they said I should come down from the car that I drove myself to enter another car that a driver was waiting, and they'll take me somewhere else. But naturally, you'd enjoy that treatment. But I said, no, it doesn't make sense. You're like everybody else. So just deliberately saying to yourself, I'm like everybody else. It doesn't mean that you're now thinking less of yourself. It just means that you're taking steps to remind yourself that we are all equal in the eyes of God. So that will help. Go ahead, Pastor Dolly. Okay, um, the question I want to ask is actually for Joko. So what, how will you help someone? Up? What will you say to someone that has struggled about an addiction for a long time? You know, they've tried to be accountable, they've tried to share, they've received counsel, they've done like, you know, over and over, but it's still not going, and they still find themselves in that cycle over and over. And what are you going to say to such a person, and what can you recommend? And also, I know that PWS kind of talk about spiritual people, how they really do not struggle with some of this thing. But I have also interacted with people that I know that the sexual addiction they have is even in their mind and what they think. So you, okay, in, a, in their mind. So how can you break kind of sexual thoughts and sexual addiction in your mind? Yeah. That spiritual conversation was just a joke. No, I, was just, I know, I know. I'm just trying to say that even spiritual people, they don't masturbate. They don't really have sex. Masturbation has even been defined as Christian sin. Yeah. Because somebody who's not saved, you don't need to mas- just go out, you just be yeah. having sex. It's you have Christian sex. That yeah, but they then have sex in their, in their head and their mind. So how can you help such a person? Um, hmm. So the first question sounds like it's a professional question, I won't lie. Um, because at a point... I think there isn't anything wrong in going to seek therapy if you need it. Um, So when I wrote this blog post in 2017, like I said, I don't know when I started masturbating, but I graduated from secondary school in 2006. So that was at least a 10-year gap because I said I started in secondary school. So between 2000 to 2006, I was in secondary school. Let's just say give or take like 10, 15 plus years. 
right? So, but if it's somebody that has, they've shared, they've done accountability, they've done all of this, I think it might be best to speak to a professional at that point because I'll, I'll be lying to you if I say I know what the solution is. Um, because your, the person's triggers might also be very different and it might have stemmed from a completely different place. And that's why they're even going through this channel. So I had a conversation with somebody once who was sexually assaulted and this was a way for them to get pleasure. Now, I cannot relate to that experience and I feel like I'm not in the best position to give advice on that. And that's why I would say it's better to speak to a professional. My own, I won't lie, the beginning, end, middle goal was just my own pleasure. There was no, like, maybe something traumatic happened to me and that's why I started or maybe something. So, if they've gone through all that, I'll say speak to a professional. Then in terms of your mind and, you know, maybe having sex in your mind and all of that, the more you feed your mind something, the more you will dwell on it. Our mind is powerful, okay? So you need to be careful with what you're feeding it as well. One of the things I had to scrap, completely scrap, was setting some books. Some books had to leave my Kindle, they had to get out because I was just like, I can't be feeding my mind this rubbish and then expect to be holding shoulder that me too, I will keep on. No, come on. So you have to be very, very careful what you're reading, what you're listening to. Even, so let me give you an example. One day I, I saw this music video when it first came out. Um, WAP, Megan Thee Stallion and Nicki Minaj, right? And I remember thinking, oh, sorry, is this supposed to be WAP? Oh, oh, okay. I was like, are you making me feel like... <laughs> oh, bye-bye. Like, <laughs> it's what, Abby? Uh -huh. I, I was like, am I saying the wrong thing? I just saw your sister give you the look. <laughs> ah. Like, you know these things. <laughs> ah. So, I was watching that video at my friend's house. And I remember having a strong impression. Don't watch this music video. Don't watch this music video. But no, Jokotala finished the music video because I wanted to see the whole thing. And then, you know, and I started feeding my mind with unnecessary content and I started seeing things. It wasn't always even necessarily sexual. There's this prayer um, ministry and part of Cornerstone. They now gave me a prophecy like three, four days later that um, Sister Jokotala EDU, you have been seeing things and God said that, yes, I'm not joking. You, you know Cornerstone. Holy Spirit called you out. You called me out, so in public. <laughs> that this is what you've been watching and what you've been listening to. Yeah, I well. said, ah, oh my God. <laughs> so that, to me, that was just like a confirmation of God had been telling you. You see, you were watching WAP, you were watching this, watching that. So when you find, and then at the same time, please keep yourself busy. You know, when you're not busy, it's very easy to go down the path of, yeah, keep yourself busy. I'm not saying go and work yourself to oblivion, but the truth of the matter is that when you're busy, you also don't have time for certain things. That's the truth. So keep yourself busy. Stop feeding yourself with some things that you know is not going to edify you. And so because you can't even have space or you shouldn't have space. We spoke about that last, uh, last Sunday. Demilad did, did touch on that a bit. Not... Um, ensuring that there isn't space, there isn't a vacuum or a gap. Yeah. So keeping yourself busy, but also even being deliberate about stewarding God's presence in your environment. So the music you listen to, 
you know, have messages plain. If you know that you are the kind of person your mind travels, you know, your mind travels, your mind is here, there, and everywhere. You have slept with that one in your mind, that one, you have visited that one in, in Turkey, you have, you know, you have to be very deliberate about owning and bringing that to your mind, bringing it, putting it under. We spoke about that, keeping your mind, keeping your body under. So listen to messages, listen. In fact, I've, I know people who have recorded confessions, their own voice, so they are playing it. It's literally over like again. over and over and over again. They're just hearing it. And it makes contact with your mind. It's the word of God. The word mm -hmm. of God is, 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 is life, you know, it's spirit, medicine. it's medicine to your bones. Mm -hmm. So if you are ailing mentally or in, in your mind, it, it is expected to be able to heal you in that regard. Now, for some people, it is faster than others. And that's, I spoke earlier about somebody going somewhere and one pastor prayed for him and immediately they hated the sin. For some other people, it's a process. In fact, the people who got like immediate deliverance, and I'm not, I'm not, saying, um, I'm not saying that approach is wrong or anything like that. What you find sometimes is that they might relapse. I've heard stories of people who actually got healed of, you know, certain types of addiction. You know, they, they, they stayed away for a period, but then they went back. It's not because their healing was not complete, too. But there's a mind work that needs to happen that did not happen. Mm. So it's important that for people, especially those of us that are Christians, who you are not committing the act, but in your mind you have undressed the person, you have slept with the person, you have done different things in your mind. And Joko said something, your mind is, your, is the most powerful tool when it comes to, to, to sex. So you, it's not until you, Jesus said it. He said, you don't have to sleep, you're just lost. Once you lost, it's already, you're as good as the person has done the, done the deed. Mm. So being deliberate about creating an atmosphere around your life yeah. is so important. Can I just quickly add one thing Abidjavia said to by the way, you can control the thoughts you allow into your mind. Um, and I know why I'm saying this. I used to think that I couldn't. So a, neg a negative thought will come in and I'll run with it. And I will say it's not my fault. It just ran. It's a lie. So there's some things that the enemy is going to plant in your mind and you can nip it in the bud. Okay? You can tell him that he should get out. He should shut up. He should be quiet. So it's very, very important to know that because it allows you to take ownership and take control of what you also allow in your mind. So when a negative thought comes in, nobody's saying you won't get negative thoughts again. No, you will. Kill it there and then. Yeah. Move on. I wanted to just say something very quickly because there is a huge stigma around um, people who commit acts of sin. And there isn't as much... Um, stigma around people who think or just sort of it's within them you know for instance you hear stories of you know ah, in a church they called out a woman who had adultery a man who committed adultery and they did this whole kini meanwhile the very pastor who is sitting at the head of the thing is is consistently entertaining thoughts of sin the bible actually tells us that look all sin is equal to god the bible says even the thought of foolishness is sin and like Joko was saying, which is what I want to really hammer on, thoughts are not, what comes to your mind is not necessarily your fault, but what you do with what comes to your mind is important. The Bible tells us that we have the spiritual power to bring thoughts into captivity and weigh them up against what Jesus says. And if it doesn't align with what Jesus has said, you can actually condemn it and throw it away. 
And so when you start to find that at the third level, you're dealing with certain issues and you can't seem to get past them. And because it's not manifesting in your outward appearance, you feel like you're slightly holier than, than other people. It's a lie. Sin at the mind level, sin at the body level, all not sin. And you have to have that consciousness that it's important for me to bring all the thoughts that come into my mind into captivity with the knowledge of Christ and make sure that nothing that goes in my mind, that stays in my mind, is antithetical to what Jesus Christ has said or expects of me. And the last thing I want to say is something that my brother has actually taught me more to do more of recently. This guy is an oppressor. He... 2 a.m. in the morning, he can be playing Christian. Excuse me, sir, we are sleeping. What's your problem, bro? He plays music consistently. Christian music, the ones that are shouting, you know, Yeko is playing them. The ones that are not shouting, Chandler more too, that they shout. He's and I started to get, initially, I used to, ah, this guy, calm down now, we are all sleeping. But then God instructed me. He said, look, this is somebody who's sanctifying the air around him. He's keeping the air around him full, spiritually charged with the power of God. And that's one of the things that we need to learn to do. We can't consistently be subject to the enemy's barrages. There's something they talk about. It's called a, a force field. If they want to go and bomb America today, as the missile is coming, there's a force field. There is a system of defense already in the air against the thoughts that the, the, the spiritual, you know, the missiles that are coming. You also have to make sure that your own air is spiritually charged with the power of God. So that even when the enemy tries to send something, it's already, there's already, there are bomber jets in the air that are already dealing with it at the mind level. So you sleep and you wake up, nothing. Ah, hallelujah. You know, that's, that's kind of the mindset. It's a militant mindset that we have to have against these things. Go and read Ephesians 6, by the way. Like, the armor of God. I remember, that was actually the first small group that I did at Life Points. The armor of God, yes. Priscilla Shires, you know. Because then you will know the power that you have, you know, because when you read what Paul told the church to actually equip themselves with, and then, you know, because the enemy is always going to constantly fight through. He can never give up. He has to win more people to his side. So go and read that, and then you remember the, what, what it is that you have, Sha. Because like you said, it's, it's a wall. <laughs> you got to fight. Um, Ruby? Okay, so we have like four people now. Okay, so we'll do Michelle. We'll do Ruby. We'll do Joe. Oh, okay. You already have the mic. Okay, so we'll start with you. We'll go to Michelle. Can we just go in this order? Yeah? So you, Michelle, Joseph, Ruby, and KG. And Titi. Okay. Okay. Um, my question is... Your voice can be on radio. It's nice. <laughs> Thank you. Um, my question is tied to... Well, it's kind of related to what he asked. Because when he was saying that um, the person can be naturally proud, uh, rather, he said arrogant, yeah. And Dame Lady now said it's in their DNA. Or was it him that said it's in your DNA? As soon as he said that, I just started thinking about my dad and my son. Um, my dad can be um, strong-headed. You know, he likes to have his way and all that. And as soon as Dim Lady said it's in, it's in, or rather he said it's in his DNA, I started thinking about how my son is showing the exact same tendency that I'm now thinking that, like, in fact, in my mind, he's like, he's my miniature father. So, like, <laughs> what do I do to not let it get to... <laughs> 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 
All right. So, um, so before Joko <laughs> responds, that's a very deep question. Like your your baby, your baby. How do you? <clears throat> Three. Okay. So and. Hmm. So I was having a conversation recently with someone about children in general and how that the. Um, there are certain things that you think you are born with, yeah? It's kind of like this strong-willed or opinionated type behavior. Uh, whether it is black blood, as Demilali said, or black man blood, or whatever it is, I, I don't know just yet. I'm sure there's some research to it. Maybe if there's anyone in the medical field that can let us know if really some things are hereditary, certain temperaments and behaviors and patterns are hereditary. But, aha, so they, they are. We've confirmed medically that they are. But you can unlearn. And I'm going to use the scripture that I shared in the morning about Jacob and what he did with the animals. Um, he wanted them to, he wanted to produce speckled and spotted. All he had to do was to put something in front of them, a, a representation of what he wanted them to behold. So we owe it to our children, especially when we start to see these patterns from a very young age, to put before them, to model to them, to speak to them, to pray over them, that they begin to behold what it is that we want them to be like and not what it is that might be in their nature or what it is that... So it means nurturing has to be different, even if their nature is a certain way, but the nurturing has to be different. You have to put it before them. They must constantly behold so you can take No, I, I don't even <laughs> exactly what BWS said. I mean, just to, to buttress that, look, the great thing about the Bible is that the Bible has all the relevant answers. I think part of our problem is we don't necessarily do the good job of seeking them out. In Ezekiel 18, um, you know, Ezekiel is giving, he basically talks about this. Look, if the father is a robber, does the son have to be a robber? If the father is, a, is, a, is an adulterer, does the son have to be? And God says something, and I was trying to find the exact verse, but I can't, I can't find it. I'll just sort of quote it um, the, way I, the way I've seen it. It says, look, the son will not bear the iniquity of the father neither, father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. Look, it gets to a point where as a, as a man, you know, if you want to break a generational trend in your line, you have to take responsibility for it. And that's really the job... I'm speaking as a man and somebody who's going to be a father as well. That's really our job as fathers. We have to get to a point where we see certain trends in our, in, our, in our DNA and we take responsibility for it. I'll give a quick example, and this is relevant to my own household. My, my grandfathers on both sides, and I'm so sorry, Mom and Dad, I love you guys. My grandfathers on both sides, um, and it's partly a cultural thing, but they had many extramarital relationships, you know, my, God, I hope I don't get dropped. My uncles on both sides as well kind of had extramarital relationships because in one sense, they had seen their fathers do it. In another sense, it was in their DNA. Now, my dad happened to be the exception, but he told me that from a young age because his uncles, my grandfather and my grandfather's brothers, on both sides too, they just love, you know, they love to sow, as we call it, sow the wild oats, just spread its, do you understand, around the world. You know, um, and my dad said to me that from a very young age, he had to take a responsibility because he saw how those actions affected the entire dynamic of our family. My grandfather, you know, 
put away my grandma at a very young age. My grandma was a wonderful woman. But because he wanted to be able to, you know, you know, be around, he was like, look, this woman, is, she's a strap to my soul. She's tying me down. Got to free her and move on to, do you understand? And that mindset, that, uh, that behavior just sort of wrecked the dynamic of our family for a, while, for, a, for a good long while. My father decided, look, I want my children to live up to a better standard. So he actively put barriers in place in his life. You know, and some of those barriers, my dad, I mean, for instance, my dad, by the time he was in his 20s, had gone to America, was living in New York, was having, living in a swirl. I mean, maybe not swirl, he was driving a taxi, but he was still living a, what you would call a good life. God arrested him and brought him back to Nigeria. And for a while, he made up his mind, I'm not going back there, because he could see that for as long as he was in America, those influences were already sort of leading him down the pathway of his father and his uncles. So the point I'm trying to make is, the minute you identify, and that's one of the things BWS said, honesty of heart is essential. The minute you've identified it, then you have to take drastic action to start to put checks and balances in place so that you are not subconsciously transparent because your children will not do what you tell them. They'll do what they see. So you have to make sure that your child, and don't be deceptive about it. Tell your child, look, I'm not doing this thing, and I hope that you two will not do it. And you show them consistently practicing it, that look, we will not do this because that's not who we are. And you, like PWS said, as long as your child is consistently beholding that, you will see the transformation in their own DNA. And then they will carry on a good legacy for the rest of your, for the rest of your household. Let me give you the final thing. The Bible says that when we get to the Bema City of Christ, us and our generations will come. Your grandfather and his father, then you, you and your own children. And Jesus Christ will do an analysis. That, ah, but this trend is still going through your household. None of you at any point in time decided to break it. Why? So you have to take it because you know that at the end, there's, this, there's a reward for the person who breaks the yoke in that generation outline. It's a big reward. Um, I have a follow-up question with my question, so I don't want my own time to, to go. I'm so sorry, uh, Michelle. So I know that I've heard this a lot, and um, a lot of people say, and we see it in movies, and you hear it in people, even um, the therapists or marriage um, enablers or counselors, they, they say that um, even though you are a Christian or you've not accessed before, you need to touch yourself so you know what you like, so that when you marry, your husband can know what you like or how hand. so there's a means about that in the in the world and people are always saying it is okay it is fine so i know that you moved and now you're married is there any link or is just a means or it's just a lie i want to kind of debunk that or assess to it that be uh tell us that <laughs> so i really want to understand Marius. yeah so a lot of people say it's necessary touch yourself <laughs> Can I help um, you with that question? Um, Can I um, add to it? Yes. So, did it affect you yeah. in any way? In did any mas way. masturbation impact marriage yeah. in any way? Is it, it, was it positively or negatively? Did it make you do, oh, this is what I like, do this way? Or it didn't really... So I won't lie, it helped me know what I do like, Sha. I'm not going to lie. So it's um said <laughs> God is watching here. Like I can um but 
I also think I could have done that with my husband. Does that make sense? So it's because at the end of the day, the truth of the matter is that when you're also even having, and this is an honest, we're all adults here. When you're having sex with somebody, you can't automatically know the person's body like that. It's the same way you won't, and vice versa. So it's something that you would learn. So it's something that I think you can learn with your partner. And that can actually be part of like the fun, engaging way that you guys also have sex. So I don't think you need to go and learn your own body on the side to come and teach somebody how to now be like, okay, do this, do that. You can do it together. That's the way me I see it, so I'm, I might be wrong. <laughs> you said yeah, right? So and I'm looking at you like you have experience. No, no, so there was a, no, no, so there was a book that one of my um, one of my friends who got married was reading. And Kama Sutra. Should, no Kama Sutra, thank you. You know Kama Sutra. I do know, I do know. I'm I'm ah, quite educated. Let me, let me I'm educated. <laughs> I'm educated. No, but the book is called, I, I think it's called The Joys of Sex or something like that. Um, and he was getting married and I was his best man. So, so you read the book on his behalf? No, I read the book because I also wanted to learn ah. certain things in well, advance. You are learning way in advance. In advance, John. It's just, it's, you know the way if you are going to like read 12, you read the syllabus before. John, I just wanted to be, but one of the things that was spoken about in the book was that um, so is this, uh, he put it this way, he said, look, if you already know everything that you like and your husband doesn't do it, you immediately build a sense of disappointment. Yep. Absolutely. You know, and then you start telling him, and he's, he will now start asking, but where did you find out that this is what you like? Mm. You know, it's almost like opening a gift beforehand, and then when they now present it to you, you're not like, it's not just, it's not just a, a book that you got from me. You take away the element of surprise. surprise. And it, it can even lead to resentment. And it can lead to resentment. On the flip side, for the, for the other party who doesn't know what you like, you take away that sense of accomplishment that comes, and, and this is not me, it's the book, dear. <laughs> but you take away the sense of accomplishment. Let me tell you something. If you do something for somebody and, the, and you see the person's immediate reaction is like a reaction of joy. I buy you a gift now, Jim, okay? And you can, I can immediately see on your face that, man, she loves... There's a sense of peace and joy that I get from that. But, you know, if, if you have to tell me, which I know a lot of people do, is, ah, is that, that one I want? Is that one I really want? You, you sort of take away the sense of accomplishment that I get from doing the work and figuring out what you like and then hitting the spots... I'm using that in inverted. He's <laughs> <laughs> John Astan, and I, you know, so I think that there's also that aspect. You don't want to have unwrap the whole gift and not be like, just give it back to me. No. So interestingly, well, that that same question, I'm I'm going to. There's something that we need to address as married people. But there is <laughs> this question that Doctor asks. Yeah, can also be transposed to. Um, should I have sex um, so that I know what it is that I want? Uh, the, that's, that, this is the Christian version of that question because I've had people say that to me. How do I know that my partner will sexually satisfy me? So I want to have experience so that I know what it is I'm demanding. How do I know that I will be sexual? So I want to test, especially people who are in like a dating relationship. I, we should have sex before we marry. What if it's impotent? And women ask these questions a lot. What if it's impotent? So how do I know? And please don't... What if it's actually impotent? <laughs> <laughs> it means you did, not, you did not choose well. You didn't hear God. 
and it, you fell for deception. <laughs> no, but this uh, and, and and guys, it's we are laughing over these matters. These matters have destroyed weddings, oh, as in they have destroyed marriages, destroyed homes. These sexual matters, it has scattered marriages because what I ordered versus what I got, you know, it's very <laughs> miles apart. Uh, what I ordered was. <laughs> People should let us successfully finish this one first. <laughs> you know, but it's seriously, and Demelai is very spot on with a lot of the things that he has shared based on the book, not experience. <laughs> However, we and Karina, how many other married people do we have in the room? We will let you know that it is okay. Oh, yes. Thank you. Eh? Or are you? <laughs> I didn't even see the face. Are you married in the spirit or is it a prophetic declaration? But we would we would let you know that it is okay to actually um, guide your partner. Yep. It is very okay. It is very okay. In fact, it is important. Otherwise, you will just be angry. <laughs> you will just be angry. Like, seriously, you will just be angry. And especially if, you be, if you're a Christian, you've not had sex before, you will not know how to explain it to the bros that, please. Uh, why is it the bros that needs the explanation? No, no, no. Because maybe the bros did not, or even the auntie, yeah. either ways. Okay, so let's use the auntie. <laughs> You won't know how to tell the auntie because you don't want her to think that you have explored different territories. Is why you're placing such a demand or you are making such a request. But it is that you evolve even in marriage. Your needs become apparent. You see, you see the things that you enjoy. You see the things that you don't like. And it's okay to say some... Okay, I was about to start to describe certain things now. It's not, it's not relevant to this conversation. You pull any... <laughs> I know Joker shaded us that in church we don't talk about sex as much, but... It's, it's not, I don't know that we are shy about talking about sex in life points. If you want us to have a sex, <laughs> I say it's a sex seminar. <laughs> no, but a marriage type seminar for those who are preparing to get married. We'll talk about these things more in detail there. Yeah. Hi, yes. So, stop. <laughs> so something that has been very consistent in the advice that has been given this night is um, the need for an accountability partner. Um, someone like me, I, I'm struggling with, I'm trying to be better, but I tend to feel like a bother, you know? You don't want to feel like you're, uh, every time you're calling and you're texting, hi, I need help, hi, I need prayer. So my, really, my question is really, how do you go about choosing the right accountability partner? And then even when you choose that person, how do you, like, is there a certain schedule? Is there every single time the thought pops into your mind that you will text the person? And then, because realistically, everybody is human. So you don't want to feel like they're like, ah, again, she has come. You see, every day. I thought yesterday, I thought we prayed about it yesterday. Now today she has come again. So I don't really want, and, you know, just to be real, because you see accountability partner, but then I know myself sometimes, like, I, I'll be like, oh, again. You know what I mean? And then if you have someone like uh, Toin, Pastor Toin, <laughs> very hardcore. So what's wrong with you? Why are you letting the devil mess with you? You need to be strong, or Pastor Dolakpo. Once you even just I'm just kidding, phone, please. They are, they are amazing. In fact, they, I think they are part of the police <laughs> in this church that you have come again. Devil, we bind and cast you. No, please go ahead. So, what's your name? Michelle. I think it's okay to reach out as many times as you want, especially in the beginning, because I think the beginning is the hardest. And then to continue is also hard, because over time you'll find that you might need the help less and less. So, right now, um, I meet with somebody every Saturday morning for my business. 
right? It's a form of accountability. I meet with Wumi Akinde, and that helps me. Saturdays, 7 a.m. You might have something structured like that with the person that you're talking to, but I don't think... Because, first of all, kill that thought that you're a bother. We're not built for isolation. We're built for relationships, okay? So you should have a support system that's ready to support you, Michelle. You're not bothering them. It's okay to be like, I'm going through this, and you reach out to that person. And I think another thing that's very important is to have people that you share similar values with. So that, because at the same time, you can be friends with people, and they're your good friends, let's be honest, but they don't understand why you want to go on whatever journey you want to go on, because to them, it's not a big deal. That's not the person you will call your accountability partner. They will not help you. You need somebody who also believes what it is that you believe so that when it is that you feel like you, want, you, you might be falling, you can reach out to that person and that person is encouraging you, not telling you, hey, Michelle, you see now, I've been telling you, you better drop it. You, know, you need that kind of person. So pick somebody that you trust, that you, are, you feel safe with, and don't look at yourself as a bother at any point in time. You're not a bother, please. Ah, you're God's perfect daughter now. How can you be a bother? Please. Um, good evening, everybody. <laughs> okay, um, the question I okay, the question I want to ask is um, um, okay. Let me just give you a bit of context. Um, as time progresses, I believe there's a lot of gray area on what is right and what is wrong in terms of good and bad habits and. It keeps on increasing from people blaming actions on zodiac signs to, um, okay, that's another pandemic. So <laughs> let me move on to the next. So from that to um, culture changing, even in the body of Christ. I mean, um, let me be very more specific. From um, doctrines supporting certain habits as good, and maybe others supporting it as bad to um, gender misinterpretation. You understand what I mean by that? Right, so to gender misinterpretation. Sometimes um, many of our leaders of faith wouldn't want to be caught in the crossfire of having been a victim of cancel culture. So most times they wouldn't want to call out what they feel is bad. So at some point we clearly do not have it on black and white, what is right or wrong, um, as it were. So um, the specific question I want to ask is, how do you, how are you able to differentiate what is right and wrong? I have a friend that tells me that um, he's a witness, that's Jehovah's Witness. So he'll tell you that, <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing. He'll tell you that he doesn't believe in the Holy Spirit and he feels like having a tattoo is bad, but doing a piercing is not. Um, he said, you shall get, there is some that is right and some that is wrong. And for our culture, a lot of things have been misinterpreted. The Nigerian part of our church system, we have our beliefs and the abroad part of church system there are certain beliefs, like there are churches that believe in same-sex marriages and relationships. And some of the people that would endorse it are people that have like a very, very strong position in the faith. I think last year, somebody called out 
um, was it Kim Burrell for making a homophobic comment and she had to come and publicly apologize and yes, so there are a lot of people that have been called out for comments and at some point, and at some point you start asking yourself because this father of faith will come and tell you that it's not really so like this. This one will come and tell you. So at some point, we are getting to the point where even in the body of Christ, they are setting, they are, it's not really on black and white anymore. The gray areas are somewhat spreading and at some point it's going to be dis um, difficult to distinguish. So, Ishanga, I don't know how to phrase Sir, the what's question. your name? Joseph. Joseph, the truth is in the Bible. That's the answer to your question. And even before I gave my life to Christ, I will tell you this. One thing I said was that human beings cannot create standards for certain things. We will always shift the standard, as you can see. Right now in the UK, last I checked, there are 47 genders. Yes, 47. And I'm a very, I'm a very research person, right? So there was a day or well, night, see why I tell you I struggle with sleeping. Instead of me to be sleeping, I'll be reading you. I decided to go and read about the different genders to kind of understand what does this mean, what does that mean? Because it's actually very, it's confusing, let's be honest. And the world is going to keep expanding. One day they will tell us there are 500 genders. How are you supposed to remember that? In 2019, this was the first time I think I even um, physically encountered the gender thing. I was in Vancouver in Canada and I was about to enter the bathroom and then I realized that the sign on the bathroom, I can't remember what it was, but basically it was open to everybody and it was a funny sign. Now, I'm used to bathroom saying male or female. I mean, that's what we've basically all seen most of our lives. This one was at a library in Canada. It was not male or female. It was something like maybe like transgender, some, some, like it was just like, so I said to myself, to be honest, if a guy walks into this bathroom right now, I'll still be okay because we still have our private stalls. But it was also a bit jarring because it just also shows that a lot of things are changing around the world. And you need to remember that the standard is inside the Bible. Because guess what? The world is going to make it grayer and grayer. We've not even seen gray yet. That's the truth. It's going to continue getting grayer. Okay, sorry, just to address this again, um, Joko has pretty much said everything, but I want, I want you to be, the Bible says we are not ignorant of the devices of the enemy. Satan's primary job has never been, um, as it has always been, how can I dilute the truth just enough to get you to believe a lie? So even with Satan, even with Jesus, he says, look, did God say? And that is always the basis for his attack. What did God say? The problem, the reason why we have a problem with the truth is that we have relied on what another person has told us that God said, as opposed to what God has told us directly. Let me tell you one of the reasons why you are having this issue. You haven't chosen to read your Bible for yourself and dig and ask God questions. Excuse me, sir, this thing, I'm not getting it. Explain it to me. Because the, something that one of my, I believe it's um, C.S. Lewis who said this. He says, a man with an experience is never at the mercy of somebody with an argument. If you fully experience something for yourself, it doesn't matter what anybody comes to tell you. That's one of the reasons why we see all these talk shows now. They will bring one scientist who has experienced the science for himself. And then they will bring somebody who 
has their own, you know, interpretation, and they will not get them to argue. And let's see whose experience is more valid. Look, sir, your experience is the only thing, your experience with God is the only thing that saves you from this sea of grayness that we're entering into. The other reason I want to say this is because the world as it currently is being set is going to get grayer and grayer and grayer. There will be no black or white. And it takes children with, the Bible says wisdom is profitable to direct. It takes children with wisdom to be able to divide gray from gray, to divide the gray and get your white and get your black out of it. The Bible says the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, and it has the ability to pierce as soon as the dividing of bone and marrow spirit from, you know, if you don't, if you're not actively handling the word of God on a consistent basis, you will find that you are consistently being flooded with a sea of gray. You have to take your, your sharp pinpoint skinny and cut it down and find out what is right and what is wrong. And the only way to do that, I have to be honest with you, bro, is the word of God. It is. Cancel culture is not Christian. And honestly, you have to be ready to be canceled as well as a child of God because Jesus, they do used to cancel him regularly, but you cancel them. John, okay, sorry. Sorry, let's go on to the next question. Thank you. I think it actually follows on from what you were saying, Joseph, but um, not in terms of the gray parts. My question is, my context is I've accepted that things are gray and I've accepted that people have bad habits and such and such. And we're all, you know, we've all sinned, we've all fallen short. But if there was any book in the Bible that they should have placed me in as a, you know, if we wanted to go back, it's Judges. And that's because, no, seriously, no, it's very bad. Because um, I, unfortunately, maybe that's why I ended up a lawyer. Unfortunately, I'm really good at analyzing when there's an issue. That's when somebody has done something fundamentally wrong. Now, um, at the beginning, at the first, um, at the first, no, the first exchange service, yes, of this month, we talked about righteousness and I was talking about this, but this is now, my question here is, how do I correct in love? Because I am very good at figuring out, this is not the accountability partner part, that's okay, you've ac accepted you've done something wrong, so okay, we'll coach you and try and get you to get better. But when somebody has done something, um, I'm very much an avenging angel, and it's not good. It's not good because what then happens is you tend to almost cut down the person as you're trying to correct them. And I say this because there's some, something that I've actually been trying not to do. Someone said, someone hurts me, and it's, I did not respond. And I said, okay, I'm going to respond. But I, I, couldn't, find, I couldn't find a way to respond because I'm like, if I re respond at this time, I, I will insult you. And I cannot insult you because it's not fair. I just, I need to be able to say, you hurt me and this is not good. Or you hurt this other person and this is not good. Or you have a bad habit. And as a fellow Christian who actually wants to see you get better and who isn't necessarily judging but has analyzed that this thing is going to take you down a very, very dangerous path, this is how you can get away from it. Because people don't like to hear that. People don't like being corrected. It's not even, I don't even think it's, it should even be corrected. It shouldn't even be said that it's correction, but people don't like it. Me, myself, I don't like it. But I have been corrected, and it's helped. So I want to try to learn um, to correct in love. If not, it will not go well. Okay, have you heard the phrase compliment sandwich? Yeah. Doesn't work for me. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't work for her. So the reason why I, I always advocate for that is because whenever I'm called to correct somebody, and I cannot find something good about that person, something redeemable about that person, I find that I always tend in the direction of very like drastic correction. Now, 
there are some people who, when you are looking for the compliments, is a real fishing expedition. You want to say, this person is nice, but this person is not really nice. You want to say, ah, you are a good boy, and I don't want to like, yeah, good boy, but you are not really a good boy. Like, but what I've found is that um, our job is to always call out the good in people and place whatever is wrong, in quotes, about them in the context of that good, because that's what Jesus does for us. He says, no longer will I call you slaves, I'll call you friends. He always looks to give us the positive slant. And that's what, let me just, by way of example, my pastor in Ibadan, Pastor Luby, that's one of the reasons why I love him. I used to get in trouble a lot when I was growing up, you know, growing up. And one of the beautiful things she used to do for me is after everybody had said all the negative, oh, you are this, you are that. What's your name? Your name is Jacob. You are a supplanter, this, 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 this. Bro, I've heard it. You know, your name is, uh, what's the other one, Daniel? Esau, you know, or you know, what's one name of the guy that went on? So Geazi, they call you, have they ever, has your pastor ever called you Geazi before? Okay, you've not heard it. Me, I've heard it. You now go and start thinking about it, but Lord, what did I really do wrong? One of the most beautiful things he does is, after all of that has been said, he always gives me a redemptive word to hold on to. He will remind me about something good in my life, and then remind me about my future also being good. And once that is there to pad the pain of the correction. I always have a positive outlook on that. I don't know if that answers your question entirely, but... An act, can you? So somebody has slapped you. So you're a nice person, but you know you slapped me. That doesn't... Yeah, okay. Rather than slapping the person, but... Let me me hand off to Joko Jua. Yeah, so I think that what you can do, because I'm also like that, I can be very firm and direct. And I realized that over time, I was really awesome people. So in, in, in trying to correct or in trying to love, and I'm like, I love the hard way. If you like, don't look at me. Or if you like, yeah. <laughs> so I did it to my siblings. I used to do my friend. I'm very, as in, I just say it. I, there's nobody I cannot say anything to. If I'm not saying to you, I'm just trying to respect you. But there's nothing I cannot say. That I cannot say it is a lie. I can say it. I will not just look at I can say it. It's just I don't want to say it. So, over time, I've tried to, I've just tried to really allow the love of God um, to help me deal with people and to see people where they are and to love them at that point. And just probably their level of understanding or the, where they are at, and just see that, okay, if I'm, I'm trying to... So sometimes I'm trying to bring people higher. Okay, there's someone I'm recently talking to. This is a very close person to me, and I'm just trying to help the person see that you can do better. Um, probably earning you can earn more than this why are you like this and why are you why are you earning this i think this is better you can do better you can earn more and just trying to encourage a person and sometimes like you know when i talk i realize that the person kind of feel bad so what i then try to do is i try to just talk generally and encourage a person and not really speak to so sometimes i'm talking i'm trying to address an issue but in, in trying to do that, I'm damaging the person. So I try to understand that 
a lot of people, things that I find easily or things that are natural to me. Like I can't process some things. I can't process any something at certain level. So the way it's natural to me is not natural to some people. So I need to understand their level. I need to understand what they, where they've been and why they chose that life. And because, like this person I'm talking about, they've been able to create their world around certain earning, and it's fine. They can survive. They really do, they are not under pressure. They don't even want what I want. So I'm trying to respect um, people's, um, people's decision and also try to push them because I'm really a pusher. I like to push them out of their comfort zone and help them to see better. So I, I look at where people are and encourage them and just try to walk in love. And when I try to help people, I don't want to damage them in the process. Yeah, so just being conscious of the little things, yeah. So, um, okay, possibly. Oh, no, I just wanted to quickly read this. I mean, and again, I think you already know this, but you know, First Corinthians 13, 7 says, Love bears all things, um, believes all things, hopes through all things, remains steadfast during difficult times, endures all things without weakening. I think that's part of our our mantras as people of God is it doesn't matter how many times people hurt you you have to you have to believe the best of others even when they are wrong and have your endurance stay strong in face of whatever hurt people bring you it's one thing for you to tell them look you've hurt me but it's the way you can tell somebody you've hurt me and let them know that look I'm not giving up on you and I think that's the real essence there is as long as they feel like you're not giving up on them they, they will always see a path to redemption so yeah Thank you. Hello, everyone. Um, mine is just a quick one. I know you were referencing your blog, so I was just going to ask that. Can you just like let us know your blog? Yeah, just let us know what the name of your blog is. If you go on Medium, um, just look for Jokotola Edu. Edu is E D U. Yeah. Good evening, everyone. So, um, my own question is not sexual, but I believe there's food addiction. Um, for context, <laughs> okay, for context, um, I know somebody, okay, me actually. <laughs> I love it. I like, food is just so good, right? <laughs> and like, with, with sexual um, kind of things, you can say, oh, it's very private or very personal, but you're just sitting there minding your business and food just... <laughs> and you're like, even if you're fasting or you're trying to put in, like, you're just trying to actively be conscious about what you know you have, and then temptation just comes left, right, and center, and you're like, okay, maybe this is what the Lord wants. Let's just <laughs> feast and stuff. So I wanted to... Um, ask, do you have any tips on being disciplined or staying? It's different if you're disciplined and even staying disciplined because, like, you can say, Oh, I'm going on a cleanse for like 40 days, and then by day five, <laughs> you see snacks and stuff, and you're like, <laughs> Jesus does not want this for me. Let me just. <laughs> Let me just eat. And then there's the part where you have a um, um, personal trainer, and then at five in the morning, something just tells you, you know, the one paying the guy. Stay. The guy will not beat you. <laughs> like, 
things like that. So I, I was just wondering if you had any helpful tips. Your name is Cynthia Yes, ma'am. Okay. I can actually speak to this because I am still in your shoes, working my way out. And I'm not joking. It's actually a big problem. <laughs> when people used to say that they struggled with food before, I didn't understand. Because of the time I didn't used to eat. <laughs> then the last two years, God had caught me. Ah. So first of all, like I said earlier, the first thing that I found helpful was having a trainer. But you also need to remember your health. You need to have a goal in mind. So all this one of 40-day cleanse, all this stuff, me, I don't believe it. Because at the end of the day, what I've set my mind to is that it has to be a long-term goal. So when the first time I met with my trainer, he asked me how many kilos I want to lose a month. I told him two. He said, wow, that, that's very good. A lot of people will come here and say five. I'm like, no. I want something that is actually achievable. I cannot lose five kilos in a month unless I go on a starvation plan. I have no intention of doing that. So this is something that I want to go even beyond because if tomorrow I now hit my goal weight, I'm stronger, everything, I can now go back and start eating everything and then I put all, put all the weight back on. So it's important to think long term. A few years ago, I went to go and do medical with my parents. Hmm. I got my results back. They said I had high cholesterol. I said, these doctors don't know what they're talking about. I gave, I gave my medical result to one of my brothers. I have two brothers. I was like, Light, don't read this thing because I think this is a mistake. My brother read this. And I said, you know what? It must be daddy's results. They must have mixed up our blood work because how can I have high cholesterol? Now, at the time, I think I was only like 25. And you would think, how can you have high cholesterol at the age of 25? I was eating too many. I was eating a lot of red meat. A lot of dairy. Those time ice cream used to be my dinner. Hey. Then after finding out I had high cholesterol, this was the best part. I still went to go and buy ice cream. I didn't believe in it. So one day, my mom came home. She was so upset. She, she trashed my ice cream. I told her, you threw away my money. How could you do that? I was really upset. So she calls her brother in Arizona. And my uncle, my uncle has a way of having very jarring conversations with you. He asked me, do I want to be on medication for the rest of my life? That thing reset my brain then. Because I was, my father was taking cholesterol medication. I'm like, do I really want to be like that? Absolutely not. So you need to have a goal that you're thinking about. And do you want your money to waste on your personal trainer? Titi, hard end cash. Get up and go. Pick a time that works for you. Maybe 5 a.m. is too early. And that's okay. You don't have to go and do early bed 5 a.m. Maybe it's not working for you. Maybe it's actually yeah, 7 p.m. that's better for you. Maybe it's 11 a.m. Pick the time that works for you. Don't do a time that doesn't work for you, but go. And by the time he, your trainer has finished you for like the whole week, you to come back and tell me that you saw Ching Ching passing you by. You will say, my friend, get out of my sight. Because the, all the pain, like I'm sore. I'm sore here right now. I'm not joking. And already my trainer has told me, because I only did two sessions last week, that this week we're doing four. That's why I sent him an email. I said, Dana, let me tell you something. The two parties I went for, I didn't eat small chops. I didn't eat grills. I only took this, this. Like, please, pity me this week. Have, thank you. Have mercy. How can I now come and be eating? So remember that. Don't waste your money, yo. Don't waste your sweet cash. Even if it's 5000 naira you're giving trainer, don't waste your money. Much Joko, the two final questions for tonight. I hear we still have two questions. So Ara and one more person. Who's person? Hi, everybody. Okay. 
Thank you. Okay, so <laughs> it's somewhat related to Michelle's question, but quite different, and it's not about sex. At the beginning, you made mention of um, when help is being offered to you, accept it. But then I've been, or I'm in a situation whereby son is offering to help me come out of his situation. But then I'm feeling like I don't want to be a bother. Like you said, I don't want to be a bother. I don't want to um, more like be at the mercy of the person. It's not like I'm at the mercy of the person. The person is not making me feel like that. The person is just really and genuinely wanting to help. But then I'm just feeling like let me not stress this person. Let me not bother this person. It's my problem. It's my situation. So let me try and do it myself, even though I know that I can't really handle it. But how do I work on that? So you need to break out of that mindset. So let me give you an example. When I first got married, I saw my husband's I saw ourselves separately. I don't know how to explain it. Um, so I would say, my husband, I remember one of the first things he said to me is that, oh, my money is our money. I'm like, no, your money is your money. Like, you, so you have to, but again, like I said to Michelle, you're not meant to do life alone. We're meant to do life together. If this is a good person that's offering you good help, because there's also bad help, sure you know, and the person really wants what's best for you, accept it. If God has sent somebody your way, because at the end of the day, is it God you want to come and give you the help before you accept the help? Because God is like, I will send helpers your way. God has now sent helper. You're now saying, I don't want to be a bother. God, do not, you're not going to meet God to ask him for help. You're not saying, what more do you want of me? I've already sent somebody your way. So if this is good help, the person wants what's best for you. Stop looking at yourself as a bother. You need to change that mindset. And that might actually come from, what I've found is that sometimes some of these thought patterns we have, it comes from how we were raised or maybe patterns we've picked up from long ago and it's still affecting you today. So maybe you reached out to somebody once, the way the person responded to you was very flippant, very unkind. So you said to yourself that, ah, let me do things in my own capacity. One would chase a thousand, two would chase 10,000. You better allow this person to help you if they want to give you good help. Praise the Lord. Um, good evening, everybody. Um, this is my second time at the exchange, but I, I actually enjoyed the service. Um, my question is also on an addiction. Um, there was, it's actually my addiction. Uh, I'm struggling with it, like you said. Um, there was a time in my life that when I see people who um, take this ice, the, this um, drug, I'm like, why do you guys take this thing? That I don't know why you guys take it, but I cannot do it. And actually, I grew up in Ajegule on the mainland. So normally, school where we go, then get bad boys for there with the, do the normal. So I'm like, I can't join you guys in doing this thing. And the guy asked me one time, he said, um, do you know why we do this thing? And I'm like, I don't know why, but can you tell me why you guys do this thing? Then he explained to me why they did that thing. Um, why I'm saying this is because I also fell for that thing. So I kind of got used to taking that ice. And there's something about that ice that 
it, it gives you this sensation. I'm a kind of person that whenever I take that in there, it's as though I'm no, I'm no longer on earth. That whatever I do, eh, an inspiration from God. <laughs> if I listen to a beat now, what I'm going to say, or the way I will jump on that beat, I'm not the one doing it. The ice is telling me what to say. And so everything I'm saying is going in accordance with the beat. So I observe that ah, anytime I don't do on this thing, ah, I flow well. And um, people around me also notice that ah, no, ah, if you do on this thing, they take you, they go far with this beat. Actually, I want to ask some, I want to ask, I've come, I need help. I, I, you said something about replace, you replaced and habit with another thing, right? I don't find which I go to replace this thing. No, I never see him. So I want you to help me. Like, what, what will I do? Because if I, I, I do that thing a lot. I know good. My mom is dead, so I always swear on her grave. I will not take this thing again. Like, lie. I might stop it for like a week or two weeks. Then all of a sudden, I miss that, I miss that sensation it usually gives me. And I'm like, ah. Let me just try, even if it's once. Let me go. Let me just have one drag again, and I find myself going back to the same thing again. So I don't know. I've tried. There's there's nothing on earth that gives me that feeling as that ice does. So I want to know what I can use or in any way I can help myself. contemplating whether I should talk about this. Oh, sorry. I was really thinking whether I should talk about this because I was like, Lord, I don't feel equipped to tell you what I'm about to tell you, but I just wanted to say something as a creative. You see, one of the things that makes me, I guess, high and excited and gives me creative energy is praying in tongues. Like, there's a special... I don't know how to explain it, but there's a... The way I think taking drugs makes you feel high and makes you feel excited and makes you feel energized is how I feel when I pray in tongues. When I speak to the Holy Spirit and I'm praying in tongues, I feel that that's excitedness, that energy, and it becomes evident when I start to draw. When I start to, because I draw, I design clothes now. So when I start to design, I can, I can perceive that those designs do not come from my head that they didn't come from me, that it came, it was like God downloaded something into my head when I prayed. So if it is something that you are interested in, which is receiving the person of the Holy Spirit, he is the greatest creative influence you can have. He's the greatest person. He has the greatest knowledge. He knows everything about everything and he can give you better flows than you've ever, ever had in your life. So if that is something that you want, that is that keeps you like energized. I don't know if you've heard what's this guy's name. His name is Testimony Jagger. He is so filled with the Holy Spirit that you can tangibly like feel it and express it through his songs. And you even know him. So if you are interested or if this sounds like something you want and the Holy Spirit is not just a force or an influence, he's a person. Like he's someone that's 
even know how to explain it. He's like the person that will always be with you. He'll never leave you. Like he always, he's like a constant best friend. But the way your best friend can go home and sleep and everything, this guy does not leave you. Like he's always there. As you are sleeping, he's there. As you wake up, he's there. As you are thinking of what to write, what to say, he's there. He will tell you what to say. You know, the Bible was speaking about, I think it was Peter or Paul. Peter was saying, he was before like a judge or before a panel. He was like, what am I going to say to these people? Peter was uneducated. As in, this guy was a street guy. He didn't know anything. He was like, what am I going to be saying before these PhD holders and people? God was, I think Jesus was saying to him, don't worry, it will come. And when he got there, the kind of wisdom, the kind of things he was saying, the people that had PhD, people that had this knowledge, in their life, they had never heard something as intelligent as that. So the Holy Spirit is that person. He's that, he's that person that is able to fill you, inspire you, lead you, help you, comfort you more than anything in this world. And I, I would be happy to introduce you to him. I also practice what you said. Most times I'm like, let me go sober. Let me, I want to hit this song sober, you know? But when I'm sober, the inspiration is different from when I'm high. Now, when I'm high, I don't necessarily need to think of the lyrics. It comes. But once I'm sober, I need to arrange my lyrics. So, What's your name? Samuel. Samuel. Samuel, so the truth of the matter is you would need professional help. That's the truth, first and foremost. And um, I agree with what Modupe said. You're going to also have to reorient your mindset. Um, realize that your inspiration can come from the Holy Spirit and not from ice. Um, but even first and foremost, I think it's important to get that help. And um, I'm going to connect you with the counseling unit. It's very important because you need to take those practical steps first to let that go, your dependence on that, and then you can move forward. Because at the same time, I mean, look at what you said, you've been swearing on your mother's grave, all of that. No, let's do things that are actually practical that are going to help you. So after service, I will come, okay, Daniel is actually directly behind you. So that's who you need to liaise with. He's directly behind you and he will connect you to the counseling unit. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to a message from the LifePoint Church. To download more free messages, please visit www.soundcloud.com forward slash LifePointNG.